Thanks for listening to Beyond the Field Guest Edition, powered by Money Empire, property and finance specialists, and also too by Atomic Coffee, fueling us through the day with the best coffee going around. Welcome to Tom, Mike, and Alex from uh, QB Studios, um, Shared Space. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Kane and Isa. Thank you for inviting us to, to join you. Cool. We've got a familiar um, voice on there, Isa, a bit of an Irishman there. So I'm on Leinster. You'll feel at home here. I'll pass you over to Isa. So, lads, just to keep things nice and light to start off, some quick-fire questions. First things that come to your head. Alex, favourite holiday destination? I think it's West Cork, down in the southwest of Ireland. Um, every time I go back there, that every time I go back to Ireland, I head straight for there. Uh, it feels like uh, feels like home. Beautiful, beautiful, Mike. If you had any car and any budget to drive the length of New Zealand, what type of car would it be? Maybe I'll borrow Alex's uh, Alpha Spider. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, Tom. Who out of the three of you would be considered the best cook? Well, that's a very, very contentious uh, question. Um, Alex is uh, obviously pretty handy when it comes to um, the vegetarian foods. Mike's um, very handy when it comes to um, seafood and meat. <laughs> so, mate, it's a split decision there. It's, uh, it depends what you're going to eat, I guess. Who's the best at um, just ordering HelloFresh? HelloFresh, is that the, um, is that the pre- My food bag. My food bag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <answers> it. <laughs> we don't know what it is. Alex, who out of the three of you would last the longest in a zombie apocalypse? Oh, Tom. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he carries a machete in his bag. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what Simpsons characters would the other two be? There's a crust in the cloud. <laughs> And Smothers. <laughs> nah, brilliant, brilliant. Last one, Tom. How did you get the nickname Tissue? Mate, that's a long, um, that's a long story. But um, uh, yeah, it's uh, paper thin and tears don't uh, don't um, you know don't play a part in the story. Let's just say that. <laughs> Sweet as well. Let's just keep it light. Just. Um, just introing each of you, Tom. I guess we'll start with you. Just sort of um, how you grew up, childhood, where you grew up, um, and family. Talk us through it. Um, yeah, so I grew up on the west coast um, in a small coastal town called Westport. Um, Mum and dad had immigrated from originally. Dad was he's, he was from Wales. Mum was from England. Um, they'd immigrated to Perth, and then from Perth they ended up in, in Westport. So. The first sort of five, six years of my life, I, I grew up there, and um, I think it was about the age of six that um, I got shipped off to boarding school over to Christchurch. Um, I had a brother, Sam, who was who was 18 months older than me, so um, you know we had a fairly competitive childhood, um, you know, on the sports sports fields, and um, uh, yeah, that was always uh, yeah, you know, it was always there to. Um, to uh, knock me around a wee bit. So yeah, we got sent off to boarding school at, at a young age. And yeah, from sort of uh, the age six till, till 12, was it uh, Medbury um, in Christchurch, where um, yeah, didn't see my dad too often. They were allowed out once every two months. Um, and because they lived five hours away, it was often, um, you know, staying with friends and whatnot. So didn't see them a lot, which um, uh, yeah, it sort of, 
you have to think to yourself a little bit. Did you en- did you enjoy boarding school? Mate, a lot of people struggled at boarding school, but I I actually quite enjoyed it. Once you got in there, it's always difficult for the first few days when you got left. You know, the oldies would leave you, and um, you'd be out sick for a couple of days. But once you got into it, it was it was good fun. I you know being um, enjoying sports and 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 that sort of thing. It was um, an environment that uh, if you did enjoy those things, that um, there was plenty to do. So for me, it was an enjoyable environment for sure. So when did uh, Tom? When did rugby sort of um, take? A, a, a bit of interest in terms of being a career for you? Certainly wasn't um, at that age, but um, I think, um, yeah, obviously being involved in, in lots of different sports from a, from a young age sort of um, helped help with, with rugby in many ways, but it wasn't probably until um, high school, um, you know, the first 15 and, and the likes, and I think it was actually um, when I was 16 and I made the New Zealand under 16s that, um, you know, uh, the idea of potentially forging a career as a, a professional rugby player was was something um, I began to think about. Um, and from there, I guess, yeah, it was sort of, uh, uh, there was a bit of a pathway to follow, which, um, uh, yeah, I guess from that, from that age on, I, I sort of followed that pathway a little bit by making sort of um, New Zealand 19s and 21s. And um, from making those teams, the, the reality of, um, you know, playing professionally was, was um, was you know was on the on the table okay we'll come back to you around in that mike checking over to you give us a bit of a background on yourself and our schooling and and what you do um yeah look i'm born and bred canterbury um schooled here until i was about 10 and then i was shipped off to boarding school down near timaru to a um, school called whitehead about 100 pupils um all boys only and um learned to be um well, I was set in a rural setting, so um, again, kind of probably didn't like it at the time, but when we look back on it, um, great experience, and that's some of my closest friends today are still guys I was at school with there. Um, actually probably met Tom the first time when we met Reed Wahi, were sort of quite the, quite the um, uh, fixture back then, so the first of would play each other, so that um, was probably the first days of coming across Tom. And then uh, back to high school here in Christchurch and um, finished up there, obviously, in 99. Um, Tom and I went through Christ College together. And, um, yeah, since then, sort of been overseas, lived in Melbourne, lived in Europe and London and uh, Brazil, which is where we met Al. And... Yeah, and back, you, back to the roots. You've got a bit of passion for art too, don't you? So is that kind of where you're, is that your background or? Yeah, look, that was a, a family, um, uh, yeah, we, I was the sixth generation of a family uh, involved with um, art. And uh, so, yeah, I was sort of born and bred into that and um, was involved with uh, galleries in, in Melbourne and then back here we we also I got involved with the family business and um, yeah and then obviously when we set up QB Studios I was quite keen to, to bring that into the fold and we've um, exhibited a lot of emerging artists in the early days um, and still continue to profile some some of those artists uh, throughout the buildings today. And is that what took you offshore? 
took me off oh, offshore in terms of travel to Melbourne and London. Uh, to no, work? no. Look, I, I um, in the end, the, the offshore travel was just a, a passion, desire to see the world and um, travel. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I left school, so I was. Um, I sort of thought I was. Uh, I hoped that a, a few years travel and and that would. would Give me a bit more direction and um, it probably took about 10 years of that before i really knew what i wanted to do but i always knew i did want to i always knew i'd be entrepreneurial and the fact that i wanted to work for myself and i had a lot of ideas and often that was probably um yeah a bit of a answering at times because yeah. you, you have a lot of ideas and it's trying to work out which ones to pursue and um so yeah, no, it was uh, the the art thing really was something that I was born into, and uh, I think at the age of thirty odd, I knew that I was probably more property focused and and like the architecture and design, and of course there's still a passion for art, so it's all kind of almost tied into one now. Yeah, and Alex, over to you. Give us a bit of a background on yourself. Uh, I grew up in Dublin. Um, with uh, grew up with uh, in, a, in a family of well, it's just myself, my brother, and uh, my my two parents and I. I went to school in Dublin in a in a place called Gonzaga. Uh, I was there from from eight until until eighteen, I think. And um, it was a very happy time, at least looking back on it. Um, I think uh, yeah, just like Mike. A lot of my friends now um, are, are friends from school. Uh, I feel like I had was very lucky to have very good teachers there. Um, played some sport as well, and um, the East will probably know that Gonzaga has more of a reputation as a, a chess school than a rugby school. <laughs> they don't too. They, were, they haven't won too many games down at Donnybrook Stadium, but they have been there. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've got happy memories of growing up there. Um, so yeah, I feel fortunate in that regard. And what was your passion, Alex? Obviously, going through high school and that. What sort of um, line of work or industry took your fancy? Coming through school, um, I was pretty focused on sport. Actually, yeah, um, that was my that was my main focus. Um, and then uh, by the time I was coming. I needed to make a decision about what I'd do after school. I, I didn't really have a clear direction, actually, so I chose law. I felt like something that would keep uh, keep the most amount of doors open possible. So I went to university in Dublin and studied that. Um, okay. Interesting. So, obviously, two guys from Down Under and one from Ireland. How on earth did you all connect? As, this is a story, eh? I, I, I think I know a bit of the background, but... There's a commonality amongst all of us. We met playing uh, rugby on probably, I would say, the most beautiful rugby field in the world, um, Ipanema Beach in Rio de Janeiro. So Brazil. just stop you there, Alex. How did you end up in Rio? Like, obviously... What took each individual pass to go to um, to get there? Well, everybody, I suppose, each one of us has our own uh, reason. It's like the the knights of the round table. You kind of uh, you all have you all pick your your spot in the, in the forest to um, to to explore. So, you know, I had left. I had 
by the time I met Mike and Tom, uh, I had been living in Brazil for, gosh, probably six or seven years at that stage. Um, so I, I'd been there for quite a while. Um, I had gone there as a, as a traveler and I just fell in love with the city. And, um, and the girls. Well, yeah, <laughs> let's get and the girls. <laughs> and so I started, I moved over there. I took a made a big change in uh, in the direction of my life and moved over there. Um, and I'd been there for a while. And uh, Mike and Tom's story is probably a little bit different, and it's tied into the what happened in Christchurch with the earthquake. And 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 um, you know, I'll let I'll let and a girl again. Tom, <laughs> we uh, Tom and I ended up going there with the. The idea of a holiday for a month or two while well, the, the dust settled in Christchurch up to the earthquakes and um, Tom had already been there I think the year before or two years before and um, previous relationship there which I think he was keen to rekindle possibly um, and we uh, we went there and we travelled from Buenos Aires um, and ended up in, uh, right up through the south of uh, Brazil and, and then to Florinopolis which is where we met a friend of Alex's which was when we got to Rio, how we kind of met with Alex. But um, yeah, we, we, we had ambitions to start a business. Tom had finished his rugby in Christchurch uh, or in uh, the UK, uh, Japan. Japan. And Japan, and then post Japan, went to London, was looking at, you know, this is post rugby, looking at the career opportunities. And first port of call was to go to London and to explore, you know, possible jobs in the finance sort of industry there. Um, and I went around a number of brokering firms and, and had a few days in, in various firms. Didn't quite like the idea of sitting at a desk for sort of 10 hours a day um, looking at screens. Um, and at the time, I had a few conversations with Mike about possibilities of, of looking at doing something to do with coffee in London, which at the time there wasn't a lot of sort of independent sort of coffee houses in London. It was a lot of sort of um, high streets, commercial brand so Mike and I sort of came up with an idea to to take um, you know uh, Kiwi coffee into the train stations and into the high density um, sort of areas of London um, and yeah we were formulating that idea and then I think it was my grandmother passed away so we came back to New Zealand and I think at the time Mike realized he had used up all his visa credits in the UK and that wasn't going to be a possibility um, and he pitched an idea of doing a, um, a modular development here in Christchurch pre the Rugby World Cup um, and we found the site and we were sort of going through that process in the earthquake hit um, and as Mike um, was saying um, we took off to Brazil with an open mind and um, met Alex along the way. So tell me, just, just quickly, Mike, the modular concept in Christchurch that came up, was, was that to support or supplement the art industry originally? No, it wasn't. At that point, I'd kind of already sort of deviated from, uh, you know, to follow my own, I guess, desires and, and, and property and, and architecture. And, and I'd always been interested in, I guess, coming up with innovative solutions to build, uh, you know, cost-effectively, and, and at that point, because I had no capital, was to actually develop leasehold land uh, with structures that he could all, always remove, yeah. so that if you put money into someone else's property, you can pay it away with it. Um, so that, that was the first idea to use shipping containers. And back then, shipping containers were sort of unknown building blocks. Um, 
largely. And uh, when we pitched the initial idea to uh, one of uh, you know a, a reputable architect here in Christchurch, they thought that um, given that the, the um, high-profile site we were going to locate the first development in the centre of the city, this was with the World Cup, was it coming? Yeah. yeah, the World Cup was coming the following year, so we were sort of trying to get it up and running, but the idea was that it was going to be a development for retail and hospitality on a site that if it was later to be redeveloped, we could move these, uh, the infrastructure off there. And uh, But yeah, no, to answer your question, it was actually uh, retail hospitality focused. And they were going to be made out of just shipping containers? Yeah, remodeled, repurposed um, um, shipping containers, but with ideas to sort of disguise the idea that they were shipping containers. Yeah. And, and again, back then, the, um, the council initially sort of disliked the idea that uh, this high-profile site in the city would have containers on it. The ironic thing is, is that when we took off to Brazil, because of the earthquake, um, it was only six months later the council had rebuilt the city with containers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw a house on Grand Designs that was in Christchurch. I'm pretty sure that was built yeah. out of containers. Yeah, um, I can see that as well. Yeah, so I mean, it has that idea of using containers has been um, has really it took off, and, and it's and it's quite a big concept around the world now. And uh, you know, I mean it. We evolved from that after subsequent years. Uh, we put the idea and the business to Brazil, and, and we actually ended up moving away from containers, but looked at other modular structures out of um, or various supply channels. But um, global manufacturers, whether it be in China or we were in Turkey and other areas. So um, you get over to this is interesting. So you get over to Brazil, right? And you obviously all. You meet up on your travels. You guys are going just going there on like a is it a holiday or a, what are you guys looking to do? Because could you work over there? Yeah, we sort of had a pretty open mind at that stage. We um, we thought if we could try and surf the coast and come up with a few ideas along the way, then um, you know who knows what might happen. But as you say, originally it was you know for a few months we were anticipating being over there. Um, the idea of modular construction is something that sort of evolved along the way, and um, yeah, we looked up, we looked at, uh, we set up a business over there. Well, set it up uh, over nine months. I'll let a story out from there. Well, at, at the time, Brazil was um, it was really on the crest of a wave. Like there was uh, the economy was doing very well, and. The Olympics were coming to Rio, and the Football World Cup was um, was going to be hosted around the country. So it really felt like um, a country with a huge amount of potential. And so there was a there was the real there was a fizz in the air, I suppose, and a and a sense of possibility. Some uh, some have compared it to the monks traveling the Himalayas looking for enlightenment enlightenment, um, <laughs> whereas you guys just decided. To- go down the coast of Brazil and uh, next thing you know you're forming a business <laughs> uh, so uh, I think we could do a whole series of <laughs> podcasts not just one podcast <laughs> but a whole series on the Brazilian adventures uh, Al just tell me in a nutshell how hard is it for foreigners to be setting up a business in Brazil because it's a dangerous city there's a lot of underground going on there how, how hard is it well, there's an expression uh, that Brazil is not for beginners, and that's definitely the case. Yeah. Uh, I think the World the World Bank has a list of 
an ease of doing business list where it ranks countries in, uh, in, in terms of how easy or difficult they are to, to do business. And I think Brazil kind of hovers somewhere around a, between 138 and 142 wow. on that list. And, and to compare just to, to compare New Zealand to that, um, I think it, it's generally number one. It shares the number one spot as the easiest place in the world. So just, just to give the listeners a bit of a snapshot, I know a bit of a story over there, and this is to show what Brazil's like around uh, on a rugby field park footy with someone breaking their uh, leg, wasn't it? Um, and the ambulance ride, uh, and I've been told this story over a few beers, which I think lasted an hour, but it's a great story. But um, obviously, completely different worlds. Very different worlds, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's, um, it's a wonderful world over there. It really is. It's a, it's a magical place with a culture that's just so rich and intoxicating. And um, you know, if you can navigate your your way through that complexity, there is tremendous opportunity there. Um, yeah. It's a big country with a big population, but it's just it's not easy. So, as an example, we were looking to import modular structures, and I think um, Al's partner was in uh, importation at the time. And in order to calculate taxes, I think there was twenty three different calculations that had to be done um, to work out. You know. Um, what tax was going to be paid, and then that calculation was then different again depending on what state you're importing into. So, you know, that's a bit of a, an insider. So, sort of some of the uh, complexities around sort of doing business there. So, with the business in, in Brazil, how close did you actually get to obviously importing these modules in and getting this up and running? Dangerously close. <laughs> right. Well, what's the story behind that? Um, well, so our our ambition, I suppose, was to take a, a, an off-the-shelf modular system that was used for semi-permanent um, purposes, often for you know, workers' camps and so forth, uh, and to, to re-engineer that and redevelop it into uh, a frame that could be used for more kind of beautiful architectural um, houses and uh, and commercial buildings, hotels, and so forth. And um, we were working with um, some architects and engineers who bought into our dream, I suppose, and um, and gave us a, a, a hand along the way. So. We were at the same time working with the basic structure, and um, there was a there was an oil and gas boom in Brazil at the time, and some of the guys on our rugby team were working in that sector. So we had uh, a pathway, I suppose, into uh, providing these um, solutions to, to for the, for their mining camps or oil and gas drilling camps. And um, and so I think we got pretty close actually to um, to getting some big deals uh, signed. Um, but uh, uh, whether it was uh, fortunate or not, there was a collapse in the oil and gas industry before that happened. And um, uh, yeah, so at, at the same time we were we were um, as we were bidding for these projects. We had developed the, the the system into something that could be used for um, for architectural purposes, 
And we got to a point where we were talking to people about building their, their dream homes for them, but we hadn't actually built anything ourselves. So we, we had a decision to make and we needed to make a, an investment, I suppose, in, in building a, a prototype for this system that we had designed. And that was, I think that was the, the, the turning point. We had to decide whether we were going to make that investment in Brazil with all its challenges or somewhere like New Zealand, which is, um, well, supposedly the easiest place in the world. And, and doing businesses in Brazil, obviously you're having these people potentially doing some work in that for you. I'm, I'm guessing they're not being paid. Were you guys looking at an equity share for them to come in? And is it all done on handshakes or winks over there? Like, I can't see it being like legally formed. What's it, what's it like doing that type of business? <laughs> um, well, it, it, you know, it, it's difficult. Um, I mean, uh, I suppose some of the architects that we were working with were, um, there was an understanding that we were doing this in partnership and they saw the potential of what we were trying to do. And as our business grew, they, they would grow with it. Um, and yeah, I think that that was the, the that was the understanding and um once it once the time came to move back to new zealand um of course we realized that all of the work that we had done designing and developing this system in brazil uh, needed to be rethought because it didn't stand up to the seismic requirements of um of the council in christchurch so we needed to find new architects to uh, buy in New Zealand to, to buy into our dream. So okay, so you come back obviously to NZ um, and you start the process here. You do have a, a bit of foundations, all of you, with obviously the modular homes, Mike. You were talking about prehand and that. So and today, how, how we get into shared space? Tell us how does this all come about? You you go away from obviously that modular look and go right. We need, we're going to go into commercial buildings um, and design some shared space. And did you see uh, an entry point into the market for this? No, uh, we actually set off to uh, commercialise the the um, modular system that we developed. So in order to do that, we built our first building in Addington, a suburb of Christchurch, which at that point was the new. CBD, um, given the actual CBD had been closed due to the earthquakes. And we found um, one of the sort of biggest issues and delays for us to get the product to market was some detailing around weather tightness and things. Um, so we came up with the concept to find a, a large industrial warehouse and repurpose that. Um, and therefore build inside using the modular system and that got away with some of the weather tightness issues at that point. So um, we ended up developing a um, two-level, I think it was about uh, was a thousand square metres or yeah, around about a thousand square metres of floor area over two levels in an old industrial warehouse, which were then broken into various office tenancies of sort of 20 square metres to 100 square metres and and at the time Christchurch, uh, you know, I think a lot of the residents, a lot of the businesses were looking to migrate back into uh, offices and, and into something that provided a bit more of a community feel and it was kind of coincidental that um, the timing of that all worked with 
timing of us bringing this project to fruition and um yeah I know we didn't sort of ever set out to set up shared space we we developed the property and we looked at what the best use for that property was and, and we ended up putting offices in the demand and the uh, the demand for that and the success of that first project kind of then changed our uh, or dictated our, our path moving forward and um yeah i guess the modular system was we did use the modular system again when we came into the city because we ended up relocating or selling the first property and moving into the city and we developed another old industrial character warehouse and we built inside it again using the, the system and using our procurement channels from offshore um again the idea was uh, you know trying to build effectively uh, efficiently and um architecturally which um you know we're in the building now with the modular system and, and a lot of the the uh, ideas ip around that is, uh, is still here so then just um i guess that expanded us into the shared space or serviced office um, uh, world and uh, then we obviously looked up in Auckland and, uh, we, to get a toe in the water we opened up a third bay and that went really well. And so, Absolutely. So, so you guys, um, obviously, you, you uh, if you can, you guys purchase obviously the buildings and own the buildings as well. But um, for ones up in Auckland, you obviously take um, the head lease and, and fit them out into shared spaces. Tell me, did you guys all put obviously your brains together to work out because you need to obviously make money from this businesses and put your margins in there and work out like how did you get to that point to actually go right this is how we're going to do it design because obviously fittings fit outs it's, it's all cost and, and money comes from everywhere in these things right and all adds up pretty quick um mate, yeah exactly um i think the first project we did um in christchurch was a little bit out of the box in the way it was structured. We had a lease originally on the warehouse. We built the two buildings um, and we had an option to purchase. So once the, the buildings were, were built and we got our um, consent, we were able to purchase um, purchase the warehouse, purchase the building. Um, so yeah, that gave us a bit of an insight into into you know potential structures of, of how to sort of um, I guess deploy less capital. Um, you know. From the outset, uh, when we went up to Auckland and we looked at leasing um, the Hearn Bay property again, it was a, we were dipping our toes in the water. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the, the initial investment um, wasn't too onerous, um, and it gave us a bit of a an, an opportunity to look at how that model might work: leasing a property, refitting it, then subleasing it, and that gave us a bit of a, a template to consider, you know, whether or not it was a model that we could then. Um, you know, use in a, on a bigger scale, which um, eventually we did when we, we did Ponsby. Because the true shared space is where it's almost hot desking, right? Um, yeah. In New Zealand model, where you guys do it slightly different, because I suppose from a hot desking point of view, it doesn't really uh, tie into any certainty. Yeah, I, I sometimes think about um, shared spaces as if. Um, uh, like holiday holiday accommodation yeah. so you have a you have a spectrum where at one end of the spectrum you have let's say a backpackers and at the other end you have uh, a hotel boutique hotel and a backpackers tends to attract younger people who are going there to um, 
make connections and meet other people and get travel tips and and go on somewhere else yeah. they're, they're kind of transient and they have that kind of energy to them yeah then at the other end of the spectrum you have a hotel where people have their own private rooms there's no bunk beds and they might share the cocktail bar and the restaurant and other facilities like that but there's kind of more privacy and they tend to attract again a different type of uh, of person and it's not that one is better than the other it's just a, a different um a different profile of the people who come along and uh, i think that kind of way of looking at it is uh, is helpful when you're thinking about shared space and i think we probably um at least try to to fit down more on the uh, the hotel end of the spectrum there's obviously a lot of learnings you'll all take along the way um and there must be learnings all the time is there one key thing that you guys talk about over and over that seems to be an issue then i was uh, <laughs> it took us about five years to turn a dollar i think um <laughs> So yeah, no, there's some fairly um, stubborn characters amongst us. We we just kept on uh, going until we found um, found something that sort of stuck in the end. But um, yeah, it, uh, it was five years at least before we before we turned a dollar. So there was fairly um, determined um, minds amongst us to, to find a solution that um, that worked. Because people hear the word entrepreneur and just think you're making money week one. <laughs> Yeah, I wish that was that. We dug the foundations of that first yeah. building in Christchurch ourselves. And um, as the, the structure that Tom mentioned earlier was, I suppose, the way that we were able to, to pull it all together without, um, without having to raise much capital. And we were, we were pretty lucky along the way to to come across some bankers and, and people who, who bought into our idea and um, allowed us to do that. I mean, one other thing that just keeps coming up is that you know, no matter how, uh, how, how, how many spreadsheets and models and all that you do, at a certain point in time, you kind of you, you have to take a leap. Mm, yep. And um, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that we see with business owners or entrepreneurs. A, they are stubborn, but they believe in themselves and they will work, you know, 20 hours of a day to achieve it, um, no matter what line of work they're in. Just touching on what you mentioned, Al, around capital and input. Obviously, you guys scrape together um, all your bips and bobs to get into it. But um, in terms of, like, the, the uh, especially in the leases, that's quite a, um, a niggly way, obviously, to raise finance against it from a, a banking or credit point of view so you guys obviously have got a really good track history with um, some banks to obviously lend on the leases and fit outs moving forward yeah i mean i think that's certainly part of it um and again you know when you go into to a lease you know depending on how long you're going to you're going to sign it there's often a capital contribution from the landlord as well so there's a, a number of options that you can use or levers you can pull to, to raise capital that um, you know you may not initially think is an option. Um, so that certainly helped, and we've had um, you know a couple of pro you know getting a track record with a bank has certainly helped along the way as well. Um, and yeah, so but certainly not having to purchase the asset from the outset 
means that the capital that we have, we can reserve to, you know, to do the fit outs, get the business running, which has been an important part of, of what we've done. You've obviously all got um, your own unique, amazing skills. Like, what's um, each person's role within the within the business and the running of it? Probably, uh, it's probably a bit of a crossover on most things. We're um, we're all uh, prepared to, I guess. That's, I guess, that's one thing um, in the roles that we, you know, that we all uh, are taking is that you whether you're fixing a toilet seat or whether you're dealing with a lease or whether you're, um, you know, raised talking to the bank, you, you're kind of prepared to do it all. And, um, but I guess on a general day-to-day basis, uh, yeah, I'd probably look after more the property side of things. And, and if we're looking for new projects, um, that's probably where most of my time is, is spent and, and Tom's, um, I don't know. What, Well, it's interesting because we've, uh, the Money Empire crew, we've been a tenant for a long time. We've gone through, obviously, a couple of your buildings. And I remember when I came up here, you boys were on the tools and this fit out in Ponsonby doing the hard yards. And that's what's awesome to see. Yeah, that's how it started too. I think Al touched on it before. The first building we, um, when we actually constructed the uh, modular system, it was the three of us and one builder built the, built the whole thing together. So. Yeah. Um, you know, right from the design, every little nut and bolt and connection and everything was, you know, started with us and obviously had engineers and architects involvement, but you could say, you know, that our influence from every facet of um, the build and, and including, as you say, the fit-outs in Auckland, we were, uh, we were, we were there, uh, whether it was putting the structure together or on a paintbrush, um, yeah. that was the way to, to do it on a shoestring budget and, and um, yeah, obviously as you as you develop uh, more and more systems and you know there's maybe a bit more capital um, at your disposal, you can bring other contractors in because sometimes your time is better off spent um, you know dealing with more important things or things that you're more specialised in. So, um, but still today, uh, you might find me with a screwdriver around the building. Or, <laughs> Um, and some pretty funny looks when uh, prospective tenants turn up into the building site and they go, oh, excuse me, I'm looking for Tom and I'll dust myself off and go, nice to meet you. And they look at you with shock and horror. <laughs> That's but, what it's all um, about, though. You did nearly lose Alex a couple of times on the first building site. He fell through the floor on the first building.
<laughs> Holy. Hey, tell me, obviously, we all chase perfection. And um, obviously, from your first um, site through to your um, last finished site, you feel like you guys are getting close to, um, I suppose, what you're wanting to achieve, the perfect outcome? Oh, no, it will never be perfect. There's just always, always room to improve, I think. Yeah. And always room to. Um, yeah, and that's what that, that's that's what's so enjoyable about it. It's just a, it's a, it's always a creative process, trying to trying to make it better and try to make the, the community better, I suppose as well. You know, the, the building is, is really just one part of it, but it's just there to to house the companies and the people that are in it. And um, the whole the whole purpose of the game is to bring out the best in those companies and the best in those people. And um, I suppose really at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about it's about them. Cool. Um, obviously, this is um, we're back into level one. Um, just talk us through COVID and and I guess just to give us a brief description around um, how you sort of managed it and what you did differently. Yeah, that was um, you know when we were first presented with that challenge, that was obviously yeah, it's a little bit stressful for a, for a, for a little bit to understand what the implications were going to were going to be for us. Um, and yeah, we sort of quickly made a call that um, in order to support our tenants, that we were going to need to significantly reduce our, um, uh, you know, our fees for, for a number of months, which we did. Um, and yeah, and as a consequence, you know, most of our tenants have come through. There's been some that have um, had sort of, you know, that are more closely sort of aligned to tourism, etc. That um, uh, you know won't be sort of making it through, I guess, but there's, there's, um, there's a lot of new companies that are potentially looking for space. Um, and we've noticed certainly that um, the ones that are looking for space, you know, post COVID, post, you know, level two, uh, two, level one, are companies that are looking for, for flexibility. And that's probably a bit of a, a change, you know, typically we've, we've been sort of uh, medium term um, in terms of, you know, a lot of a lot of the agreements we have, we're now um, we're looking at you know people are looking towards more flexibility, um, particularly given the um, you know the unstable environment that we're sort of currently in. Obviously, commercial properties took an absolute hammering in the press over that time, and, and some of the big companies, I think it was like Harvey Norman and Fletcher, just said to their uh, landlords, we ain't going to pay rent. But obviously, a tenant being um, myself under you guys, I thought you guys did a great job and handled things really well and helped a lot of people out in what you did. And a little goes a long way, I think, in times like that, where it will come back in some way uh, to, to fall back in, in your lap and, and help you guys out, I reckon. I, I think that there was across the country there seemed to be a real sense that everybody was in this together and um, everybody had to do what they could to, to support the rest of the country and I think that yeah it, it wasn't just us it was it was across the board in New Zealand so so I suppose rounding things yeah obviously we're all like I said we mentioned before we're chasing perfection but for you guys what's the what's the QB difference or point of difference in the market because we've got the generators of the world and um, and these other places what is the difference in QB and, and why should obviously people approach it and, and be a tenant with QB well I think I think one aspect is certainly that um, all of the companies in our spaces have their own private offices so they're they're able to maintain their own sense of identity within the space and it comes back to that idea of being like a, a hotel maybe compared to a, a backpack 
So I think, yeah, that that aspect of privacy is certainly one one big thing. Um, and I think that we put a lot of thought, at least, into into the design of our spaces and to creating a a, a beautiful environment and other people are the judge of that, whether we do that or not. And, and, and there are other spaces, of course, that do that too, but that's definitely a big focus uh, of ours. And so do you guys um, go directly up against, um, you know, the generators of the world uh, in terms of the shared space? Do you guys see yourself being a little bit different, like you said, of, I suppose, having um, some uh, private offices in that? Similar locations to somewhat um, separate us with the generator that they're very much CBD based they probably um, they probably have more corporate clientele due to, because of that uh, we're we're fringe new market Pen Bay Ponsonby yeah. um, so quite often the location for us is, is one of the, 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 the attractive um, yeah. aspects so yeah I, of course everyone in our space is, is going to be a competitor of, at some level but um, I think we've got enough point of difference with uh, our locations, uh, the design, the privacy of all offices, um, and just sort of always a slightly longer term based tenant so that it's not so transient. Uh, all of the tenants, the businesses uh, get to know each other and, and there's often you know uh, work and contracts being shared amongst the different yeah. businesses in there. And um, yeah. I think we're smaller as if it were, I hate the word boutique in a way, but like our locations are kind of more boutique in that they're smaller. Um, our Hearn Bay location has seven studios only and it's, um, so yeah, there's a, maybe a, a tighter sense of community than you might get in um, some of the some of the larger co-working spaces. Well, you're smart. You've, you've created a niche, like you said, where um, you're on the fringes, so people in the big in the cities, obviously transport getting in and, and um, parking cars is a bit of a, a nightmare sometimes. So you guys are created. You can still have an office. You can still drive to work. We're just on the fringes of the city, so Ponsonby, close to all, uh, office at Auckland City, is just a 15 minute walk. You know, so it's not um, so straight away. I see it as a, as a bit of a niche that you've created. Future developments. Anything on the horizon that obviously you can't spill the beans because you've got maybe competitors listening, but is there anything that you guys are working on at the moment that uh, has the opportunity for, um, I suppose, people listening that may want to be tenants in the future? Um, well, we certainly had a couple uh, a couple of new locations lined up pre-COVID. Um, fortunately, we were in a position where it wasn't quite uh, locked in, so we've been able to just put those on, on hold for the time being. Uh, but yeah, look, there's, there's plans, uh, ideally, we would like to expand across uh, the country. Um, we've looked at things in Queenstown, possibly Wellington, and there's other areas, of course, and, and, and more potential in, in Auckland, we feel, as well. So um, look, there's always there's always a desire to grow and um, it just, I think, um, you just sort of weigh up every opportunity as it comes and and there's more and more opportunities coming post-COVID and there's a lot of uh, really good prospects there but it's, it's also just finding a time and making sure everything, that it is the right time to, to, uh, to grow. So I guess we're sort of um, 
I guess watch the space waiting in the wind. Standing under the attic. Yeah, I, I thought there was a bit of a secret under there that uh, has been held back, so um, there could be some <laughs> stuff coming out. Where, um, okay. to all the listeners out there, where can uh, people find you? Details on um, QB Studios, social handles, etc. Um, yeah, well, our website is www.kibistudios.co.nz. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Kibi Studios um, and the same on Facebook. Um, and LinkedIn. And, and LinkedIn. And where are your sites? Where are you currently got sites um, for offices? Um, so obviously in Central Christchurch, um, St. Asper Street, and then obviously in Auckland, at Herne Bay, Ponsonby, and Newmarket. Well, myself and Issa obviously um, work out of your, uh, your offices uh, and the Ponsonby one, and they're, um, we think they're perfect. Uh, it's a great location, great fit-outs, and also, too, um, you guys um, work really hard on providing a bit of a community sense around the offices and creating friendships. So um, we're quite social people, and we really get stuck into that and enjoy that uh, immensely. I know Issa's itching to ask you a couple more questions um, to round things off, so I'll pass over to her. Just to keep things nice and light, just to round things off, uh, Alex. Favourite pub in Ireland? Sullivan's in Crookhaven in West Cork. Brilliant. Mike, have you ever sent an email or text to the wrong person? Often. (laughs) Brilliant. Tissue, who out of the other two would be more likely to shave their head for charity? I'm not sure about shaving your heads, but I've certainly caught Mike when uh, on our... That's real. Show me something that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't have. So, in that in mind, I'm, I'm going to have to say Mike. <laughs> I'm guessing it was his hands. <laughs> Mike, who is the most spontaneous out of the three of you? Obviously, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tissue, who would win a wrestling match out of the three of you? Uh, mate, we call um, Alex the big, the big Buddha and he's about to start powerlifting, so um, you'd, have to, uh, you'd have to watch it back with, uh, with Big Al in the room. Nice. Alex, serious question here. Munster or Leinster? Leinster. Leinster. Uh, last one to the three of you. Who plans the infamous QB Christmas parties? Oh, that's Alex. He spends, uh, he spends, you know, half a year sort of conjuring up ideas and cocktails and dances to... Oh. The one with the feathers, you know, unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> hey, boys, um, absolute pleasure having a chat to you around your journey. Love to... I know I know some stories around the Brazil journey and that, and uh, they're absolutely outstanding and some hilarious parts, but... You guys are fantastic, um, fantastic guys, landlords, uh, and got some great ideas. So um, definitely to all the listeners, if you need space, obviously contact these boys or jump on their website um, and flick them a message and they'll, they'll be more than happy to do your deal and get you in. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Another great guest edition on Beyond the Field podcast. If you have any questions for the QB Studios boys or anything on property and finance, please jump on our website www.moneyempire.co.nz or our social platforms and leave us a comment. And remember, be proactive, not reactive. <laughs>